Hey everybody, this is Brad Bruce and I'm here with Jace Marsiglia. And you're listening to the 5195 Podcast. Back at it, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Yeah? No, I'm not. You're not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, well, it's it'll segue into our, our topic today. Okay. Which this will be good for the creatives out there if they want to listen to this and glean some information, hopefully, from yeah. some of the stuff we were going to say. Um, without going into too much detail, mostly because it's personal and all this, kind of, at the as of this recording, kind of going through some shit. Okay. Kind of going through some personal shit, some relationship shit. And uh, it got me thinking, because I am someone whose emotions, I don't want to say run high. I do tend to stamp them down, but... Very early on in my screenwriting, I was able to hone those emotions into the work. And that was my question for you today. If you're if you're down, even if you're happy, if you're in like a jovial mood, does that affect your writing? Because I I don't I know that I'm I'm sure that we do do it subconsciously a lot of the time. But have you ever found yourself consciously going, you know, I'm gonna use this because I'm fucking mad or i'm fucking upset or or i'm fucking happy man i'm in a good mood so i'm gonna write something a little bit chipper today you know like have you ever been conscious of it and steered it into the work yes okay i have so i did the short film m is for michael for that yes the abc's a death thing um sean and i were talking about making it into a feature mm -hmm. i did a draft of that and I listened to Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska album. Is that the album with the river on it? No. That, no I think that one's... That is the river. The title album. Yeah. That's the title. Okay. No, this one... Because that's like the most depressing song ever written. No, you got to hear this album. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and I again, I went to another dark place mm. when writing the feature from Michael. But I did do a lot of research on... Unknown or are not as well known killers. Okay. Because you know there's many of them out there. Sure. Yeah. You know, that have stories that are way more disturbing than a lot of the, I guess, the, the mainstream the, guys. The big you know? guys, yeah. yeah. Which is which is funny because yeah, the some of the worst stories I've ever heard yeah. were people I've never heard of in my and life. I had to get myself in a in a mind frame of being brainwashed. Ooh. Okay, so I had I had to get myself to where my train of thought was what he's doing is right. Mm -hmm. I had to firmly believe this. Like I had to believe that he was killing these people and they deserved it. Out of duty. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, that was the hardest thing because when I did the first draft, I didn't do that. And I read it and it just felt like a slasher movie. Mm. And I really wanted him to have, conviction right in his actions so i sat down with another friend and gave him the script he gave me some serious notes okay and it was like basically every everything that i was thinking mm -hmm. is what he told me 
So then about, you know, it, it was, it wasn't, there was no conviction in his actions. Okay. That he, he was just doing this as a, it was like a slasher mm-hmm. that first draft. Yeah. Okay. And then when I told him, well, this is the direction I want to go in. Mm-hmm. He was like, yes, do that. When I said, I'm going to like immerse myself in this dark world. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I had done is I had read Helter Skelter. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had read the Night Stalker. Oh, like yeah. back R- to Ramirez. back. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. I drove up, as I do many, many times, up Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. And people in SoCal know the spot I'm talking about. The top of Mulholland, there's a lookout. Yeah. You hop over the, the little fence and you walk down the dirt. And there's a couple areas over there. And a lot of people go up there and just sit. And I went, I hopped the fence late at night. Mm-hmm. And I went over there and I sat and I just immersed myself in this Manson-esque situation, the same with Ramirez, because this is where they did it. Yeah. I wasn't scared. I wasn't, like, freaked out. Well, to a degree, what you're doing is dangerous, mentally. Um, Yes. Because in a weird manhunter kind of way, you're the detective trying to get into the psyche of a serial killer. Yes. And some people can't pull themselves back out. Right. You know, I'm not saying you would turn into a serial killer, but it's like you could push yourself so deep in the muck that there's no way back to shore. And that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a gamble. It is a gamble. You're right. It is a gamble. It did pay off. And you're right because I felt myself being complacent to the world. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I felt myself being mean. Not a good feeling. No. I've been there. Yeah. And I went back and I wrote the second draft. Uh-huh. And I gave it and they were like, whoa. Mm-hmm. It was funny because I was now met with this. I sympathize with this guy. Mm. That's not a good feeling either. Yeah. Because the first time he was just a mindless killer, killing people. Yeah. And it was just like a slasher movie. And it's not exactly like Dexter. Right. Where you're like, he's just cleaning up scum. This is religious zealotry. Yes. Where a death penalty could be something that we just take for granted every day. You know, it's like it's one thing. You feel a little dirty because you're siding with Dexter. He's doing things wrong. But these are people who deserve it. Yeah. Michael was like, he thinks you deserve it. Society probably wouldn't. You know what I mean? And you have to get into that mindset where you're cleansing the earth. Yeah. And that's a very scary mindset. It was. It was uh-huh. It was very scary. Mm. Yeah. You know, like, and then, you know, on the, on the other side of that, you know, when I'm writing something that I think is fun, like The Vinyl Redemption, uh-huh. I can immerse myself in hair metal and 80s movies and it's just a good time the fun stuff yeah you know and that's you know it's and you know what it's it's a lot easier to i don't even say come out of that because i mean it's kind of like how i just live my life every day anyway right it was like well i know this material so it's easy for me to write it yeah but it's also if i'm going to write something on any level i want to give it everything i have even at the cost of my own health yeah I want to do that. Yep. After I wrote Michael, I was done with it. It took me a good month to come down off of that. Like I was, I was like, did I fucking force a depression on myself? 
I think so. I did. Yeah. I did. And it was it was bad. That's you the way know? it sounds, yeah. And it was crazy because I kept wanting to write other scripts in that vein. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, no, I stopped. Like, I stopped. Like, I, I could feel it. It was like grabbing a hold. How much worse down the rabbit hole do you want to go, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's crazy because I got some really good feedback on it with the characters, you know, because... It, well, it's palpable. Very palpable. You know. Very palpable. <clears throat> yes. Um, people respond to palpable. Yes. So. And th- there is a person that I based his mother off of, and... When I told again, I, I want to be very like kind of vague about this. Just that's, that's fine. Um, when I gave this script to someone, they knew exactly who I was writing wow. the mother who I based his mother on. Mm. And you're kind of like, damn, yeah. But it also was like a win though, because it was a very real character that they themselves dealt with her wrath. Oh, sure. So they recognized it. They know. Yeah. Okay. So they've had personal experience. Yes. And they were like, man, this is not over the top. This is right on point, man. Yeah. You know? And so when I had given it to my friend and he reread it for the second time, he was just like, this is it. One or two more drafts just for cleanup and, you know, just just a couple different arcs and things like that. And and you're on your way, Mm. you know? Yeah, I definitely go to a place that's that's dark and damaging and, and, and it's hard. And I'll do it. I'm sure I'll do it again. There's a couple of uh, ideas that I have like kind of just rolling around in my head that I want to get out. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to go there. Because it, it won't be authentic otherwise. It won't be authentic. Yeah. And I don't want to just take someone like Manson and use him as a blueprint. Like everyone else does. Exactly. Unfortunately. I mean, that's the thing. Manson, you almost fear making the murders... What's the word I'm looking for here, man? Not cheapening. Trivial? You know, yeah, it's not quite what I'm thinking, but it's like you're 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 cheapening the worst day in someone's life, their last day, because now the killer is a cliche. Mm-hmm. Because Manson has been done to death. Which is ironic because he didn't <laughs> He's not the one who wielded right. the knife, you know. Yeah. yeah. But Manson has been the boogeyman for 50, 60 years. Yeah. And everyone has done How Manson. How crazy is that? It's, it's wild. Yeah. I remember being in kindergarten and somebody, we were out for recess. Kindergarten or first grade. And someone said, Charles Manson is out. And I'm like, who the hell is that? You know, I, did, <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. And that was my first introduction to Charles Manson. And I don't remember... Had to just be someone talking shit. I mean, we were little. The only thing I can think of is someone found out he was probably up for parole, and we all yeah. know that it was denied every time. Yeah, that was he was the boogeyman. I knew about him from a very young age. Yeah, it's it's sad to call him cookie cutter, but it, he is very much so. And uh, even to a degree, Zodiac, because you get these movies with serial killers, and they're like, well, how co- how creepy would it be if he uses ciphers? And okay, you know, I get it. But when you're pulling from somebody who's much worse, arguably, and then putting yourself in that mindset, that's scary. That's not, (laughs) it's not advisable. I mean, I don't want to dissuade our audience from going certain places to get authenticity in your work. Just know how to pull back. And there is not a damn thing wrong with therapy. No. I mean, uh, I mean, it's because I'm in therapy. 
Sometimes you need someone to throw a lifeline your way, even if you've done it to yourself. Like you were saying, you've you immersed yourself in this mindset. You immersed yourself in these books, this music. And while I don't, I've never put stock in media affecting someone's psyche, it could certainly set a mood. I've never believed that heavy metal is going to cause me to go kill somebody or no. horror movies, but you could watch certain sub genres or listen to certain sub genres of music to get your your shoulders up a little bit, you know. For it, sure. It definitely has a physical, mental effect. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's giving you feelings. It does. And it's, 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 I hate to say it, it's the weaker among us who let those feelings rule them. Oh, they, then they win. Yes. Yeah. That, those are the ones who go out and kill someone and say, well, Judas Priest made me do it. Right. And that's scary. It is very scary. You know, that's, those are people who don't have a good grip on reality to begin with and shouldn't be going down these rabbit holes. Yeah. People as semi-mentally healthy as you and I, we know when things are getting a little bit too much. Yes. And it sounded like you you towed the line for a minute there. I did. But uh, you came back, worked on different things. And like you said, you're confident enough that you could probably go back. I could, and I will. Yeah. And I, I probably will too, especially now. But I... My thing was I had, when I was, the one I was working on was called Judgment Alley, and it was a little bit of a a contest darling at the time. It got attention. It was always my least favorite because I didn't like where I went to write that one. It is excessively violent. It is excessively cynical. It is uh, a downer. And at the time I wrote it, I was out of a job. I had just gotten married, had just moved out. You know, it was like this was my first time out in the world as an adult and everything was being pulled out from under me. So after panic disappeared, anger set in, frustration. I was mad and I put the anger into the work and some of the torturous stuff, which is pale in comparison to the things we've seen. But at the time I was like, I really want to stick it in and break it off on these characters who don't deserve it. Maybe some of them did, but it was like, I'm not just going to shoot someone or stab someone. I'm going into torture porn here. You know what I mean? And for some weird fucked up reason, so many people didn't relate to it, but found it more compelling than some of my other work because it was so mean. So not me. Okay. Um, a lot, like you said, with Vinyl Redemption, a lot of what I write, I try to tap into nostalgia. I try to write the things that I would have liked seeing if I was a kid. And those were horror movies that took you for a ride. I, I want people to get off the ride and get right back in line. This wasn't that. I wanted this one to sit with you. And it seemed to for a lot of people. I never wrote anything quite like it again because I didn't want to go there again. I was in a deep state of depression, but it was a depression that was mixed with anger. And I wasn't on any kind of meds at the time. I didn't have anything to level off. So it was pure, unbridled anger. And I was taking it out on these invisible characters. You know, of all things, people really gravitated to that script. And it still blows my mind because I'm like, I don't want to call it a spite script, but I wrote that one to be mean. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I wrote that one to ruin someone's day. Instead, people were like, that was fucking dope, you know, and I was just like, oh, well, okay, 
thank you. You know, it's, it's flattering, but that's not where I wanted to go. And that's not even the writer I wanted to be. That said, I have no problem now, years separated, going back and writing something really disturbing. In fact, I'm not, I won't get into it, but there's a couple of true crime cases that not many people know about that I'm like, maybe I should go there. Maybe I should adapt this. It may never go anywhere. Yeah. But this is this needs to be told because not many people are talking about it and this is fucked up. Yeah. And that's going to be depressing. You think you're going to go back to that place when you wrote? Maybe worse. Wow. Because I was dealing in fiction. As you were, but you were pulling things from real life. I wasn't pulling anything from real life. I was just channeling anger. You know what I mean? I was like, I was pulling the wings off of the fly and enjoying it. Yeah. And For how long do you think you were immersed in that? A good year. Wow. Yeah, a good year. Now, did you get any blowback from the people around you like call you on it like hey dude you're being this way not once so what do you think that says i don't know i've never understood this never because i mean don't get me wrong i've gone through terrible things in my life and i've found out from people way after the fact that i was a different person at that time i have no memory you don't see the forest through the trees when Mm -hmm. you're in it i have no memory It's very Jekyll and Hyde, but I don't recall anyone calling me on my shit. Wow. I do remember support because people were like, it's going to get better. People deal with this. You'll get a job. Your marriage will be fine. You won't lose your apartment. You know, it was just, you know, pick me ups and Mm -hmm. pep talks, you know, but it was never like, dude, what is going on with you? Dude, are you okay? Yeah. It was never, you know, like, dude, you're acting really fucking weird. Or people not wanting to hang out with See, because I got that. Sure. And that's the thing. I I think between the two of us, I've learned so early to compartmentalize and hide those feelings that I can give you a straight face and be seething underneath. Yeah. And it'll show in different ways. And at the time I wrote it, I think... The job that I had gotten was like at a bank in a mailroom at like a headquarters. It wasn't like a teller bank, you know, it was like a headquarters. And I was in the mailroom and for eight hours a day, without having a pen and paper at at the ready, I was ruminating on this script for months before I even started, you know, hitting the computer. So just living there and being in this you know, in this nasty, sludgy mindset while hiding it was not a, was probably not a good thing. Wow. Because I don't know if that damage has ever been repaired, you know, because wow, that's deep, man. It sucks. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those deals where I look back and I'm kind of like, you, you stayed there too long. Oh my God. You know, if that, if that feeling was a house, you didn't go outside much. And it's like when you I were finally, home there. I was home, I was comfortable and disturbingly comfortable to the point where the exorcism, so to speak, was putting it on paper and visualizing these awful things and thinking that this wouldn't see the light of day. And instead, like moths to flames, everyone 
drew to it. Like So let me ask you this. Uh-huh. At any point since you've written it, years, you know, decades, whatever, have you gone back and revisited it? Uh, you know, maybe being in a different mind frame? A few times. And how did it make you feel? Not great. Not bad. So there was a growth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. From, from that, from when you wrote it to now, there, there's definitely a growth to work. Definitely. You're, In yeah. fact, I've rewritten it maybe three times, from beginning to end, taken things out, added things in. I think I even did a gender switch. Certain characters were male, and I thought, what if I made this character a chick? How would the dynamic change? And it was for some reason more insidious, because this person was acting. I don't want to sound sexist or anything, but like a way, a way a woman shouldn't act. It was very, I don't want to say masculine, but just almost too sadistic than what we're used to seeing in women, even in movies where they're the villain. Obviously, no, I'm not talking about your sexy femme fatales or even single white female. This is a woman who is sick and wants only for herself and doesn't care who she fucks over to get it or how grisly the effect is. Because the person in the script didn't necessarily do any of the violence without giving too much away. She found a way to cross the right wires so that certain people would kill each other horribly, Hmm. you know, because of miscommunication or misunderstandings and... She just kind of sat back from a position of authority and watched this small group of people tear each other to pieces and then walk away with what she needed. Wow. And uh, it was chilling with a guy. It was very chilling. In fact, you know how I cast in my head? Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time when I wrote it, this was around the time that the Amityville Horror remake came out. And I was knocked over by Ryan Reynolds' performance. Because he was always just the goofy, likable guy. But as George Lutz, I was like, he's fucking scary. He did a great job. Fantastic. And he's who I pictured as this crooked cop. Okay. And it was that nasty George Lutz, the one with the weird eyes and the fucking scowl. And it was very creepy to write with that in mind. Years later, and I was told it's not as good, but... I changed it to someone else, and it was a woman this time because I thought, you know, I, I just wanted to play with that dichotomy. I wanted to see what how how the tone would shift. I personally thought it made it darker because we, we kind of look at women as maternal and protectors, and this was someone who was willing to let children die. Mm. Dark. You know what I mean? That's fucking heavy. Dude. It is, and I thought... Because we look at women as maternal and protectors, this type of attitude would be more disturbing, coming from a woman. Mm-hmm. Maybe 50-50 agreed. Wow. Which was kind of funny because I was just that, like, yeah. to me, I was like, I feel like this improved tenfold. But you got to think at the time, everyone who liked it, I, it was a draft that I didn't. Right. So when you when you were rewriting it, you weren't in that same mind frame as... The not, first one. Not really. I, The rewrites, I kind of, with the years in between, I kind of learned more about police procedurals and the way cases are investigated and some of the things people look for. Just the homework stuff. The homework stuff. And I went in and I tightened it up and made it more realistic. 
Um, not that it wasn't realistic before, but I found a way to make it seem like this person could get away with this. Now, is this a period movie? Not at all. No. So it's like a present day kind of a it, thing? It was a present day one. and Because I don't know why, like, just from hearing you talk, I'm like, I'm getting like this 70s East Coast vibe from this thing. No, this was uh, modern day West Coast. and okay. And furthermore... During the Christmas season. Okay. I put the backdrop against Christmas. This was my Christmas horror film. It wasn't Riggs, was it? <laughs> Riggs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just sitting in his trailer with his gun in his mouth. But it's, it's that w- this was my, because we've mentioned before, you know, if you really want to dick Christmas, you know, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a Christmas horror film. And I'm going to be vicious about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Silent Night, Deadly Night mm. in a big, bad way. Because Silent Night, Deadly Night, those are camp. This was not camp. This was like forensic files, real, and I want you to hate this guy. And people did, but they enjoyed the script. So it was ironic that the script that I didn't care for, that everyone liked, when I brought it to a level where I was like, this is good, they're like, you shouldn't have fucked with it. How, How does it make you feel? It's rough. Because I'm like, very rough. Because I like (laughs) it now. But the thing is, because I rewrote it from a better place, maybe I filed the teeth down. I don't know. Subconsciously. Because I think I added more violence in a couple of places. But it's, I think it's eerie and it's dark and it's unforgiving. But uh, certain people have told me. There's just something missing from it now. And I'm like, fuck. Mm. You know? Like, it's got me wondering if if this was the script I submitted way back in the day, would we be here talking about this? Yeah. So, would you... Let, let's just say you, you get an option deal for this thing. Uh-huh. Okay. Would you tell, like, these people? Like, well, I also have this original draft. Yeah. I have... I have uh, the red pill and the blue pill. Right. How would you feel if they're like, okay, we want the old one? I'd probably dig that. Because even though I didn't like it, everyone else did. So I wouldn't be surprised if they preferred it. But it's probably the most honest of the two. Because that's mm-hmm. you, you got me at a bad place. And I used it. See, I think, yeah, just just listening to... What you just said, like the whole thing, um, mm-hmm. I think the first draft is the way. I've never even read it. No. But. Um, yeah, I can't remember if I gave it to you I don't think not. you ever gave me that, <clears throat> no. Um, but I, I think just from like someone who wants to make a movie, I'm like, oh, well, let's make that one. Yeah. Let's make that original one. And you know what's funny? I think, I want to say at the time when you and I started talking and collaborating, I think it was after I had done the alternate version and i probably didn't give it to you because i was confused i'm like i don't even know which one to give him you know i'm like i I don't i I don't know which one he would gravitate towards you really got me fucking tripping out over here like you really do like because it's funny because i to me i look at the old one and i'm like amateur hour even though nobody else thought so okay whereas when i rebuffed Hmm. it i was rebuffing it as a filmmaker as a screenwriter so i probably wasn't looking at it as clinically or more emotionally distant but that okay but that first one was raw and it was nasty and that's the one where i'm like see that's why i keep getting these like vibes of 
70s exploitation, just, you know, hardcore, gritty, it, shot on film. It lends itself to that. Oh, you could very easily take this script and make it that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a modern day. It's that type of grit. It's that kind of unforgiving, gritty. And see, and the, the, one of the reasons I feel like those movies don't do well today, if they do that kind of stuff in modern times, is just because of like iPhones and technology and CCTV and ring cameras. It's like. Sure. So it takes an element of off of it, like like your suspension of disbelief is gone. Well, anyone who watches Forensic Files or, you know, HLN and all this stuff, it's impossible to commit the perfect crime. Yeah. It's impossible. Our technology's only gotten better and better and better. Yeah. That said, the retribution and the, the karmic retribution that comes to this character isn't in the form of law enforcement. It's karmic, but it's like nobody questioned it that first draft. They were like, this guy would get away with it. Yeah. He would. Well, let me tell you something then. Mm. This is WGA protected, so I don't care. Sure. I wrote it a while ago. Because I'm so fascinated with, can we really have a serial killer like Richard Ramirez ever again? Like this was the question I posed to myself just because of technology now. Are, Are those times gone? And I really was like trying to ask myself this question. And <laughs> so I'm like, I'm trying to come up with one. It's, I do feel like the serial killer age is gone. Right. Um, so, so, so did I. But I felt like I came up with something that would lend itself to a bygone era. Sure. And what it was, it was about a guy who was fascinated with all of this stuff and literally on his computer, listening to all the podcasts, watching all the shows, Mm -hmm. reading all the books. Mm -hmm. While this was going on, his life was falling apart, but he never addressed it. He was just compartmentalizing it. Okay. Until one day it bottled up enough to where it exploded. Okay. And he got this idea of small towns. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to travel to small towns, population 100, mm-hmm. and commit my crimes there. Just wreak havoc. And bounce around all over the United States. Because big cities would catch you quick. Yeah. More than like, ironically. Right. Then he will go home and sit back and watch his story. Unfold. And get off on it. Yeah. You know, because there are no real descriptions because these small towns don't have the ring cameras and they don't have all of this stuff. You know, they sort of escaped mm-hmm. like the commercialization and they, they, they've escaped progression. Yeah. You know, the technology age and stuff. These are the older, you know, the older folks and they're stuck in their ways. Well, that and the newspaper doesn't really reach outside of that county. Right. So it's not national news. Right. Unless it's especially heinous. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and it's funny because I wrote more of a rough draft. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I put it down and I literally forgot about it. And then I'm like, you know, as I like to do is like, I don't know how you store a lot of like your screenplays and stuff, but I'll store them on hard drives. Yeah. Just for the protection. I usually put them on thumb drives. Okay. So (laughs) I was going through some of my old hard drives and I saw this and it literally said just scripts. Okay. So I click on it and then this one popped up and I was like, oh shit. And I'm looking, I was like, okay, let me, let me just give it a read. Yeah. I was like, 
oh, this is fucking cool. Like, this is good. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, the WGA, like, protection had run out. So I had to, like, quickly re-up it, uh-huh. you know. And so it's another one that's just there. You know, that's something, you know, in the future, whatever. Something, something you can fall back on yeah. and mess yeah, with. Yeah, just, you know? just something for fun. But I feel like that's one that I wouldn't have to go to a dark place on. No, I feel like it's a little more clinical. In a weird way, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Murder by Numbers. i never seen it. It was from 2002 with Sandra Bullock as a detective. And I think it was Ryan Gosling. Goosling. Goosling. I forget the other guy. His last name was Pitt. I don't know of any relation. But they were like two high school kids who studied up on all this stuff and was like, we can commit the perfect murder. And it's the same. But I it's mean, clinical. It was clinical. And it was, it was a good thriller. You know, it was fun. It was suspenseful. But it was, it was Hollywood. Yeah. You know. And, uh, but it was a similar in theme, like what you're talking about, where they almost did like a scream, like a scream re-examined slasher films. This was sort of before true crime really got, took off again mm-hmm. in a big, bad way and was sort of going, what if someone out there knew the procedurals? What if someone out there knew what they look for Yeah, and tried to pull it off? I don't remember if it was in a big city. I mean, it was, you know, some coastal town, you know, but it wasn't like small town like what you were talking about yeah it wasn't this stephen king castle rock yeah self-contained kind of deal but it was a good movie and it was uh i I haven't seen it in probably 20 years yeah but i just remember watching it and kind of going so they're not dumb and they're not random this is these are people who are obsessed with true crime and think they can do it and it was fascinating it might not be a bad one to dig up yeah i definitely want to check it out but it's it like yours i think lends itself to being more violent and more insidious because this is someone who, does he want the fame? Is it like your Luca Magnata? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, it's not. What it, what it is, it's just, it's just a guy who's, his life sucks. Yeah. So he's just immersed in this stuff. You know, he doesn't have any other hobbies. His life is falling apart. So he's choosing to shut it out. Okay. And not accept or not work through what's happening to him. And just build his own new reality. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. He just becomes detached from society. And then he just is like stuck in this shit. Hmm. You know, he's completely stuck. That's interesting. And there's the, the catalyst that just starts the whole event off. Right. And it's it doesn't start with the family member because like that would be too easy. You know what I mean? Like, cause then, then he's going to be a suspect if he kills someone close to him. Yeah. You know, too obvious. Yeah. But what he does is he finds someone that resembles a person in his life mm-hmm. and then kills them. Okay. And there's another thing that I am leaving out and I'll tell you off air. Sure. And it is fucking cool. You don't know until it really starts unfolding, or hmm. you are a real true crime fan. Just a little bit of extra. A little bit of extra. Yeah. Okay. And it's not even anything that great, but it's just, it's cool. Because it's almost like a, ah, moment. Sure. Yeah. Which are cool. I like those. It enriches you know? the experience. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I know, because I know I want to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. I know, that because there's a few things that I do want to add to it. But I know when I do rewrite it, I don't, I won't go there because i didn't go there when i wrote it 
right to a really 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 dark place yeah you know i know i won't i feel like you're more in thriller mode it is thriller you but, know but but you know what it's very it's raw it's town that dreaded sundown you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's got those vibes to it when it comes to that kind of stuff i think there's there's more terror in the fear than the action oh yeah because it makes people do weird shit yeah you know, like it makes, in, it makes everyone else unpredictable. Of course. I lived through the Richard Ramirez shit going on here in town. Mm-hmm. And I remember just the fucking fear this one man instilled an entire state. Gripped them. Yeah. And that was more terrifying than actually what he had done in my mind. Because it was a butterfly effect. Um, would you say that's even comparable to Son of Sam? Definitely during a heat wave Definitely. and a brownout, Definitely. you know, because that was that was also one where the community kind of turned on each other. Oh yeah, everyone was looking for for blood. Yeah, you know, and it was just this one dude. Yeah, and he, the thing the things that he provoked out of people who didn't even know who he was. It was just it was wild. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. We're stupid. <laughs> I mean, just as as a as a creature, as yeah. a humanity. Yeah. We don't know how to deal. No. And we become stupid. Pitchforks. Pitchforks. Torches. Yes. Um, Mob mentality. It's not a cliche. I mean, it is not. I mean, it is. I've seen it, but I've seen it in reality. I've seen that. We do not know how to cope. No. And uh, to circle back to our initial topic, I think if more people put it toward creative outlets, Maybe it'll help exercise the demon. It'll certainly keep other people safe. But uh, I wholeheartedly believe that. You know, it's just if you got to get on the damn Xbox and plow through Resident Evil, a bunch of zombies, whatever, if that's what makes you feel better, just do it. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to hurt anybody else. As artists, like me and you, we were compelled to put it into the work. Right. And I think it enriches it. Um, it does. At great personal cost, some, <laughs> sometimes you know. Yeah, they and they are rare occasions. Yeah, no, I. It's not every time. You know, I look at the guy who wrote like seven and eight millimeter and all that, and I'm like, do you just live there? Because yeah. that's all. That's your output. That's it. Brilliant, but fucked. How's your regular life? Yeah. What's that like? Like, like what? What do you? What are you thinking about when you go to bed? He must be a fun person to hang out with. Right? I mean, it's like, I, but at the same time, I want to pick his brain. Yeah. But it's like, that's some inkwell dark shit. Yeah. You know, things like seven and eight millimeter, those are very unforgiving films. Very. I don't know where he went for those. It would be interesting to find out that he was like, eh, it's a paycheck. That would be fucking insane. Wouldn't it? Because I'm like, this stuff is next level dark. <laughs> that would be fucking... If he's just popping that off... Well, you know, we mentioned during a smoke break, August Underground. Yeah. What was it? What's his name? Fred Vogel or whatever? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, and he, that's the thing. It's like, I'm aware, but I'm not ready. To watch it? Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. I'm I almost a- feel like that should be a reaction show. Ooh, God. How, how fucked up would that be? Oh, my God. You know how many people do that? Yeah. Maybe we could do that sometime. We probably should. But, yeah, that's he's another one that I'm like, <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you eating before you go to bed, pal? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or who? <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those deals where I'm like, I'm not sure I could put myself quite that deep in the pit. Because that's depravity now, you know. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that just doesn't attract me. 
know? it doesn't attract me. I think it's more of a, of a, a, a cinephile rite of passage. Probably. I mean... It's just under the belt. Roger Ebert used to call it a vomitorium. These are people who, they're trying to get you to gag. But he's not wrong. No. He's not wrong at all. No, and there's something to be said for that experience. It's very rare, especially you and I, that we watch something and we're like, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. It, it takes a lot. Yeah. And uh, But again, these are people who have found a new level of emotional emptiness. Right. <laughs> we hope. Uh, yeah. You know, to, to crank out such disturbing content, yeah. you know, because the... Uh, the other option is letting it get to you and you becoming dang- a danger to yourself or society. Right. So. And let, it's not far-fetched. No, not at all. That's what's scary about it. You know, let, your mind can make you do some fucked up shit. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, I think that was, uh, I think it was good. It was. It's a little bit of a downer. A little bit heavy. But it's our method. Yeah. It's a method. It's yeah. it's a tool in our creative toolbox. I don't know if it's so much of a downer because it, it, you're right. It's more of a tool. It is, but... Because you know, we don't live there. No, we don't, but we visit it. Yeah. And that's not fun. No. no not necessarily. Not. No, it's not. Well, so. All right, man. Well, I think that's it. Coolio. Okay, so... <laughs> Fucking Coolio. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Get your woman on the floor. Sorry. Is that cool? That's Coolio. Is it? Okay, cool. I didn't, I've never listened to it. It's, okay. the, it's the one that's not Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> it's every, every song that's not Well, Gangsta's I thought Paradise. he wrote that after that Weird Al song. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay, that's it. All right, man. Well, until next time. See you guys. <laughs>